Ladies and gentlemen, Happiness in Darkness proudly presents our 46th feature presentation, Iron Man 2. Now that Tony Stark has revealed to the world that he is Iron Man, the entire world is now eager to get their hands on his hot technology, be it the United States government, weapons contractors, or someone else. That someone else happens to be Ivan Vanko, the son of now-deceased Anton Vanko, Howard Stark's former partner. Stark had Vanko banished to Russia for conspiring to commit treason against the US, and now his son Ivan wants revenge against Tony and is willing to get it at any cost. But after being humiliated in front of the Senate Armed Forces Committee, rival weapons contractor Justin Hammer sees Ivan as the key to upping his status against Stark Enterprises after an attack on the Monaco 500. But an ailing Tony has to figure out a way to save himself, get Vanko and get Hammer before the government shows up and takes his beloved suits away. And can he figure out what a mysterious figure named Nick Fury wants with him? Channel people, and welcome to our 46th episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Iron Man 2. And joining me to discuss the sequel to the highly successful first Iron Man movie when it comes to Shellhead is, on one hand, John Takas. Hey, John, how you doing? <laughs> the Iron Fan is back. Thanks, Nick. How you doing? Oh, well, I'm doing wonderful, John. It's wonderful to have you back on to discuss this sequel for sure. And on the other, our surprise special guest, another John, John Janchek. How you doing, John? Good, Nick. How are you doing? I can't complain, John. It's you know super, super happy to have you both on today. And I actually believe that the two of you are longtime friends. Yes, we are. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, back maybe grade school possibly. Yep. Wow. Well, I think I think it's fantastic you know, to have you both on to discuss this great movie. So today we are reviewing Iron Man 2 from 2010, directed once again by John Favreau, who we had met in the first Iron Man film, written by Justin Theroux, who also wrote Mulholland Drive, American Cycle, and The Girl on the Train, to name a few. The original score was by John Debney, and on estimate, this movie cost around $235 million to make and made around $732 million at the box office. So quite a great return in, on indeed. So guys, before we actually get into, should we say, our main characters and such, uh, when it came, you know, to a your rewatch of this movie, you know, what were your what were your thoughts? Let's start with you, JT. What were your thoughts on this movie on your rewatch? Uh, the rewatch was just uh, one of many. I th this is this is one of my favorites. Um, I. I, I understand that a lot of people feel like it's the it's one of the armpits of the of the uh, MCU, but I love this movie to bits. Uh, there's there's so much about it I enjoy, uh, and I can't wait to start discussing it. Awesome. And and what about you, JY? What did you make of this film on your rewatch? I actually hadn't watched this movie since I saw it opening night in the theaters, so hmm. it's been been quite a while. Uh, my <laughs> overall. 
<laughs> my overall opinion of the film is about the same as when I first saw it. There were some things I noticed on the rewatch that I either forgot about or didn't appreciate the first time I saw it. So it was kind of kind of neat to discover those, and I'm sure we'll we'll bring those up. I will definitely for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely. I think it is a movie that um has was a little bit polarizing. Probably less than probably Iron Man three, but this one I think did have people on opposite sides of the fences. So let's get to our players on the board here, gentlemen. Starting with the guy who puts the man in Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. Once again as Tony Stark, Iron Man, of course. So when it came to the the Iron Man that we got in this film. What were your thoughts on him? Let's start with you, JY. What were your thoughts on Tony Stark in this particular film? Okay. Well, I'll, um, I'll point out before we get into the thoughts here, I've been reading comics for a long, long time, but I just never was a big Iron Man comic reader. Mm-hmm. So my thoughts are just basically strictly on the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mentioned that JT and I have known each other for quite a long time, and I think he's been an Iron fan for the whole time I've known him. He's been an <laughs> Iron Man fan, so he'll be the Iron Man expert. I'll be the guy commenting on the Iron Man in the movies. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, Robert Downey Jr. is great. I mean, he, uh, um, you know, he is Tony Stark. He is Iron Man. Um, I, th- I don't think I appreciated the first time I saw this in the theaters the idea of him dealing with this mortality, you know, he's dying and, uh, you know, what am I going to do? I'm a, you know, a billionaire with all this money, all this technology and I'm dying. So let me just go crazy. Um, I really like that angle to the character uh, and something I, you know, I didn't really appreciate the first time I saw it. And and what about you, JT? You know, coming off of Iron Man one, which we did discuss, and we know, of course, Tony has gone on a little bit of a change from the first movie. What were your thoughts on on what on what Tony is like in this one? Well, we've definitely seen him grow. Uh, this uh, from the time uh, that we see Anton Vanko working on his technology. There's six months later. You've got the Stark Expo going on. You could tell he is loving the fact that he's iron man he's having a blast with it i mean when he drops down at the stark expo as soon as his faceplate lifts up and the look on his face is like i love this and uh i I think robert Downey jr does a fantastic job with the character he is the perfect tony stark i couldn't see anybody any other actor playing him and the fact that uh i'm I'm sorry uh the fact that the the key word that we're looking at with this movie is legacy Mm-hmm. It is so poignant throughout the entire throughout the the, the film, and the, between between uh, him and his his father, what he left behind, what uh, what the Vanko, uh, what um, I'm sorry, Anton Vanko left for Ivan, I mean, it's all about what we leave behind, and I I just it's one of my favorite movies, and I can't say anything more about it. well taking those into account i think because you know obviously on this podcast we're kind of jumping all over the place when it comes to films tony of course in this film has yet to be a part of the avengers in this film and uh and you know like you were you were just saying you know he is still pretty much your billionaire playboy blowing money on lavish events like the stark expo still ogling beautiful women in this case in this case natasha who we will get to but 
I think there is certainly a change in the character, as as also JT was mentioning, as JY was mentioning, is he has to deal with the fact that he's ostensibly dying. As the original arc reactor, you know, he created in the first one was slowly but surely poisoning him. And he's, of course, trying to deal with the government, wanting to take away his technology to weaponize it. And, you know, to, to um, also um, to pick up on the point about legacy, JT, what you were saying about the fact is maybe a little bit more dour and he's trying to brush it all off in front of Pepper. And then he makes her CEO as even though I think unofficially she was already running the company, but he just wanted to make it official. And, you know, he just sort of up and makes her makes her CEO. And when it came to actually that moment, guys, what did you think of that? I mean, did you think it was a little bit hasty on his part or? You know, were you were you happy with the, with that moment where he just kind of says, "Okay, you're officially CEO of Stark Enterprises." Well, as the guy judging this just on movies alone, um, I just thought it fit with the whole narrative of he's coming to grips with the fact that he's going to die and he can't save himself. And um, you know, he says the line, "You know, I've been you know been thinking about this, and it was you. It was always you." Um, he knew it was the right choice and now's the time to do it because he's not going to be around that much longer. And, um, you know, his mortality forced him to come to terms with a lot of stuff he's been struggling with and thinking about. And it seemed abrupt, but it fit with the whole, you know, dealing with the fact that he's dying and he's got to, you know, get things in order for his business and for his personal life. And what about you, JT? Do you agree with what's with, with what JY said? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, at, at that point in time, he is the only one that knows he's, he's, he's dying. Nobody else knows at that point in time until Nick Fury comes along and says, okay, here's, uh, here's what's going on. So yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to close all the pages of his book to, uh, for the, like, like I said, for future generations, for what, what comes next and, uh, to have Pepper as his CEO. I mean, that's, uh, and it was, Obviously, it was a given, uh, but they, the look on her face, she's like, she's like, well, I am running the company. And he says, no, no, I want to make you CEO. The look on her face is just like, uh, <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> it was dumbfounded, but it was just like, okay, well, I've been doing this for so long anyway while you're off doing your stuff. And, okay, so now here, here it is. It's going to be official now. And you can tell that uh, once, she gets the, uh, once she gets the position – I mean, she's the boss. Oh, yes, very much so. I mean, also, we do see that here, you know, he does continue to party and such, not just our wanting me to enjoy life, but also to forget that he is dying and he's scrambling to find a solution to his problem. I I think we kind of got a little bit of a nod to the devil in the bottle storyline. You know, he's kind of turning to excesses because of his current situation. He's maybe using the more flippant things in life to distract him, though. What I, what I think is interesting is he also still maintains his sense of humor throughout. You know, so we never sort of see him ever break down and cry, as it were. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, part of him, I think, still sees himself as untouchable. And he gets, a, though, the major, major reminder of his mortality, not just from the fact of being poisoned, but also, of course, when he meets uh, Ivan Vanko for the first time at the racetrack in Monaco, which I believe makes him probably more adamant to find a solution while also just being completely at a loss at what to do. So I think he's kind of in two minds. It was an interesting uh, journey for the character in, in this sequel, for sure. So, guys, as we mentioned her, let's get to the CEO of Stark Enterprises, Gwyneth Paltrow, once again, as Virginia Pepper Potts. What do you guys think of her in, in this particular film? Let's start with, with you, J, JT. What were your thoughts on uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's portrayal and what Pepper did in this film? 
Well, she's uh, just like Tony's been growing since Iron Man uh, one. I, her her character is is developing as well. Uh, she's not just his assistant slash secretary, and she's got and she's the one that that crosses all the T's and dots all the I's and makes sure that he's where he's supposed to be. But she's also taking care of the company uh, above him as well. When while he's building and uh and uh having as his excesses like we, we talked about um and there was a uh there was a deleted a uh, couple deleted scenes that uh they, they, ac- they actually showed one in the trailer where she she kisses the chin of the the helmet before he jumps off in the, the beginning jumps mm-hmm. off that jumps out of the plane one of the other scenes was him throwing up in a toilet because he had been drinking heavily and uh at that she was taking care of him as well during that so thankfully they took they said they left that out because i really didn't want them to focus on the demon in the bottle uh storyline they did have a little bit of the uh little bit of drinking but it didn't show him as like an all-out alcoholic but if you notice uh he does have a drink in his hands a lot uh (laughs) and she's 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 the one that's uh, that's there to say okay well i mean here's where here's what we're supposed to be doing and why are you doing this? And uh, yeah, she just, you could tell she's the boss. And when she gets the position as CEO, yeah, she's, she's, she's already been doing it. So she has uh, no problem jumping into those, uh, getting into those shoes. Oh, well, very well said. And what about you, JY? What did you think of, um, of uh, Peppa in this film? Well, I liked her a lot. Uh, definitely. I think, um, when she becomes CEO and she has to run the company and be responsible for Tony and keeping tabs on him when he's doing all of his, you know, crazy living life to the fullest stuff because <laughs> he's about to die. Uh, you can tell she's frazzled and and in a little bit over her head, but she's trying the best to keep control of things and um, she's doing it. She's clearly doing it because she cares for Tony. Um, you know, before they, you know, kiss at the end, um, you know, she definitely cares for him because I'm sure, you know, Hammer Industries would have given her a pretty penny to defect and have less stress, but, uh, <laughs> but she tried it all together, um, uh, for Tony. Uh, and I think she, she portrays that, you know, perfectly. Well, very well said. I mean, I think, you know, she had already shown, I think, to be a very strong and resourceful woman in the first film, you know, pretty much though acting more as Tony's caregiver and babysitter, which she still continues to do here as well. Though, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, added to that, I definitely do not envy her being CEO of Stark Enterprises as having also to deal with Tony on a daily basis, especially, you know, (laughs) When we see halfway through the film, you know, we get the party scene and Tony is, of course, clearly drunk and unraveling fast. Uh, it, it must definitely be one headache of a job for sure. I mean, I do very much, I do very much enjoy her in this, in this film. I, and I think, you know, she does her best to keep a level head and weather the crazy storm that is Tony Stark and, of course, running one of the biggest companies in the world. And the attack from the government that Stark Enterprises is under, she also has to deal with that. So... You know, Peppa has a lot on her plate right now, so it, it definitely is a credit to her that she's able to even stay sane, I think, at this point. But 
Um, at least this time she is not alone, as there's also somebody else watching over Tony, and who of course will become a big character in future movies. Here at her debut in the MCU, we get the lovely Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow. Now, when it came to our first, you know, introduction to the Black Widow, uh, JY, what did you think of uh, our introduction to, to, uh, to Scarlett Johansson as this great comic book character? Well, with the rewatch and realizing that she was never going to get her own origin movie, um, I think it's a great introduction. You know, the first time you see her, um, you know, Tony sparring and she gets in the, in the ring there and shows off what she can do. And, um, and I really like the fact that you see her doing undercover work before you see her as a, you know, full blown agent of shield, you know, she's undercover as that, um, you know, person from legal that becomes, you know, Tony's, personal secretary and then ends up moving on to being Pepper's personal secretary. But the fact that you see her undercover doing her secret agent stuff is really cool. And then um, when she puts on her shield uniform, um, Scarlett Johansson completely changes her body language. Uh, and that's kind of neat to see, you know, when she's wearing that shield uniform, she's, you know, portrays confidence and toughness and aggression and when she's undercover, she has a completely different body language. I thought it was a just a really great intro to the character, um, barring her own you know origin movie. It was it was a great way to introduce her, and now we know how important that character was down the line. So they they did a great job. Well, well very much so, and and I think it's also of course the key to being a great spy is being able you know to kind of you know slide from one role into another. Indeed. And what about you, JT? I mean, you know, we've had we've discussed obviously the Black Widow. Further down the line, our various Avengers discussions, but you know, with this initial introduction, you know, what did you what did you think of it? I I, I think uh, I think she did a great job. I think she's one of the uh, she's one of the, one of the best things about this entire movie. Uh, she, like John was saying, she she plays her secret agent role to a T, and as soon as she gets into uh, in into the uh, hammer industries with uh, I mean, poor happy is trying to take out one guard and she's not, she's, she's just knocking all the other ones on their butts. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's fantastic. Now there's one yeah. scene. I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught it or not, but uh, when Tony and Rhodey are getting into it after the party, when they crash down through the ceiling, you've got pepper and you've got, uh, at, I'm going to call her Natalie Rushman. Cause that's what her character is at that point in time. As soon as they crash down, she pulls her arm back like she's getting ready to, to get into a fight, and then she puts it down real quick. So I was like, okay, well, you, you got the secret agent thing going so well, but then you slip just right there. And I think they purposely put that in there for that. So it was it was great. But I I, I love Scarlett Johansson. I think she's beautiful. I mean, uh, I I'm a I'm a sucker for uh, for um, uh, uh, the, the long uh, long string curls with that. Uh, for that and uh and she i think she's always, she's done a great job since the beginning I and mean, she's uh she's as much black widow as robert downey jr is tony stark well i, I can't agree with that for sure and it's amazing also then see you know knowing what we know the the journey that this character goes on from here and granted you know we will get to know more about natasha's character in future movies we get quite, I think, the taste of what this character is all about and her skill set, as you, know, you guys were both saying, is not only is she incredibly beautiful and speaks multiple languages, but she's one heck of a fighter. You know, as we get to 
actually get a taste of this in this movie, e even when, you know, like you were saying, taking down poor Happy during the brief sparring session they have. I thought it was, <laughs> you know, Happy, you know, he really has a lot happening to him throughout the MCU, and this is just another one of those. But uh, I did like that in this film she's playing full-on spy, you know, keeping an eye on Tony, and also, of course, what is going on outside the box with both Hammer and Banco. Also, I love the fact that as the movie progresses, she slowly but surely reveals to everybody who she really is. And I'm sure folks were just clamoring for more of her by movie's end. What I did think what that was interesting, though, and that made me wonder is when it comes to her relationship with Tony, you know, just like Pepper, she has very little patience with him, very much toys with him at the point of, you know, almost being annoyed or rolling her eyes at him. Do you, did you guys like the chemistry between Tony and, um, and Black Widow? Well, I, I think they had great chemistry together. There was, uh, I mean, she, like I said, she was, she was playing her role as a secret agent, so she knew exactly what to say to him. And uh, I, there's, there's one part where when uh, Nick Fury basically brings her on as Black Widow and she sits down next to him, I just tell, the look on Tony's face, he looks at her, he says, you're fired. <laughs> She's like, you can't do that. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was hilarious. And, and what about you, JY? Did you buy the, uh, this initial, so we say, relationship between Tony and, uh, and Black Widow? Well, yeah, definitely. I think she, um, the way she carries herself, you know, she feels like, you know, Tony's very immature and like, how, how can this guy be a hero? And, you know, I'm a highly trained, disciplined secret agent. And I think that came across very well. You know, she's, she's <laughs> much different in personality than him. And, and, uh, she showed it for sure. And I'm actually glad they didn't make her into a villain, to be honest, because granted, you know, we already had one Russian villain here, but I'm glad we didn't, you know, cause obviously as if folks who haven't read the comics, uh, know, of course, Black Widow is initially a villain and then, you know, passes over to the to the other side. And I'm glad that, you know, she was kind of a hero from the get go. I thought it was kind of cool. But what I was also thinking was her being Russian and Ivan Vanko being Russian. Wouldn't she have known about Ivan Vanko in general? Because it almost seems like she doesn't really know about him as well or seems to have ever heard of him. Uh, it's, that's a good question. I mean, it, uh, I, we, we know we know in the beginning, or not, not the beginning, but uh, uh, when he's when he's looking up information on him, we know that he was deported. Mm. So hey, that's it's possible that uh, she had no knowledge of him because she wasn't uh, in the same country. I don't know. That's I'm just, I'm just grasping at straws here. <laughs> yeah, I'm with, I'm with John on that one. You know, he was he was deported. He was sent into exile, and I'm sure you know the government you know, basically made him disappear and made him a ghost. So I, I think it's believable that she wouldn't know about him. I mean, you know, this is just, I guess, my my logic, I suppose. And also, having recently been re-watching The X-Files, you know, I start having to have all these government conspiracy, conspiracy theories. So I'm kind of becoming like Fox Mulder, kind of poking holes in everything. So, <laughs> so I was like, that's odd. But, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I will, I will let, it, let it be for what it is. So... Onto a character who was recast for this film, and we would then, of course, see in future MCU films as this character, Mr. Don Cheadle makes a big appearance here as War Machine, and of course as Rhodey Rhodes, whom our listeners might know from Hamburger Hill, Out of Sight, House of Lies, Hotel Rwanda, tons of other great things. And as, of course, we'd mentioned on our Iron Man review, this part had actually been previously played by Terrence Howard, 
in the first film who actually though never became sort of war machine until this point so when it came to first off you know the recasting you know from terence howard to don Cheadle and the character of war machine what did you guys make of him let's start with you jt what did you think since you know we had talked about terence howard on our mm-hmm. iron man review yeah i think we i think we mentioned it uh in one of the other uh discussions as well but yeah i i i i love don Cheadle. i think he's I, He's great in everything he does. Uh, his first lines when you see him, when he goes, he, he meets Tony at the uh, at the hearing, and it's kind of like a little nod to the fans. So he says, uh, "It's me. I'm here. Deal with it." So <laughs> any any fans of Terrence Howard, okay, you know what? You're you're out the door. Sorry. <laughs> here's here's the new roadie and. I mean, Rhodey in the comics, he's, he, he's always been a little bit younger than uh, Don Cheadle, but Don Cheadle just brings so much to the character. I mean, he's, he, he, does, he becomes Rhodey. I, it's, I, I've never had an issue with him. Mm. Well, and, and you know what? And to, you know, you, us being also big Whovians uh, there, JT, it also made me think of you know when uh, we got our our first viewing of the uh, Sixth Doctor. You know, when you know, and he was like, "I'm the Doctor," kind of whether you like it or not, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> I kind of got got that kind of uh, vibe as well. And what about you, JY? You know, what did you think of? Should we say this recasting? I mean, were you happy with Don Cheadle? Or would you have liked to have seen Terence Howard in this sequel? I thought Don Cheadle was was amazing. Uh, just going back, you got three Whovians on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was going to bring that up. <laughs> uh, uh, JT uh, was the one back in junior high or whenever that said, hey, you really need to check out the show called Doctor Who. And we've been to Doctor Who conventions together. So three three big Whovians on the show. Oh, right. uh, okay, so you got the Colin Baker reference as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but I thought the uh, the introductory scene at the Senate hearing was a great introduction to, to um, this James Rhodes. You know, he's you know he's a military man, but he's Tony's friend, so he's got to walk the line between the two. And you know, he doesn't want to read that just that one part out of his report. He wants to give it in context. So you saw, you know, this guy that cares for his friend, but he also you know is a very much a disciplined military guy. But the moment that uh, Don Cheadle became Rhodey for me was at Tony's um, birthday party and Tony's, you know, falling over drunk and, you know, shooting holes in the wall and stuff. And there's a shot of Don Cheadle and it's just his face. And he says absolutely nothing, but the look on his face and especially the look in his eyes, you can tell it's like, all right, this is my friend, but if I have had enough, I got to do something. He's going to hurt himself or worse. He's going to hurt all these people. And he goes and he gets the war machine armor. But that mm-hmm. that shot of his face was just so, so powerful. And that was the moment that, yeah, this is this is Rhodey. Uh, this is James Rhodes. And that's when he owned the role for me. You can't see it, but I'm nodding, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm pretty much with you guys because I feel that though we did get a different actor, Don Cheadle and the writers, I think, pretty much carried on from where Terrence Howard left off. And the character behavior-wise is pretty much the same. As you know, we also see that in this case, he has Tony's best interests at heart. And you can tell that it pains him to have to intervene, even violently if necessary, to set him straight. As, you know, as I suppose as a good friend, he can tell his, his buddy is going down a dark and dangerous path and he's doing everything he can to snap him out of it while trying to also 
do his duty as a member of the military and is, of course, you know, completely oblivious to what Hammer is doing and who he's doing business with. Mm-hmm. And I very much enjoyed also the chemistry between him and Tony. It is like Terence Howard never left, as they still have that very much that brotherly relationship between the two. And though I'm not the biggest Iron Man fan, I have to say I absolutely loved the War Machine armor. When it, I mean, when it comes to you guys, what were your thoughts on, you know, the, should we say the debut of the War Machine armor? Let's start with you, JT, you know, you being the big Iron Man fan. Oh, hey, there's, uh, hey, when, when, when the War Machine armor first debuted, uh, oh, it's back in uh, issue 282, uh, it was, it was huge. It was, I mean, t- we've always seen these different variations of armor. There's the stealth armor, there's the underwater armor, there's space armor. But all of a sudden, here he comes with uh, the variable threat response battle suit, Mark six, uh, model 16, Mark 1. And it's got, it's loaded to the hilt. It's a, it's a tank on legs. I mean, I was just like, they, I have, I have two copies of that issue when it came out. And <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> This is fantastic, and then uh, and Tony wore it. Tony wore it for uh, originally, and uh, later on he, uh, he he bestows it basically to uh, to Rhodey. So hey, we we never that was uh, obviously the MCU changes things for for moviegoers, but uh, yeah, in the comics, I mean Tony was the one who originally wore the uh, the War Machine armor, and uh, it, Rhodey ended up getting getting his own title. Uh, later on down the road, but that didn't last. It kind of puttered out after a while, and eventually we get the Punisher wearing the War Machine Hour too, which was incredible. So, and I think John Bernthal might actually be kind of kick-ass wearing the War Machine armor. I'm just saying, that <laughs> if 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 John Bernthal was ever resurrected as the Punisher, and that ever happens, that is definitely uh, something I would love to see. And and what about you, JY? What did you think of the War Machine armor? Oh, it looked amazing on screen. Um, there's a lot of things in comic books that don't translate well visually to a movie screen. And I remember going into this movie thinking, you know, that armor is so cool and there's so much going on with all the cannons and weapons and stuff. How in the world are they going to do it? And it looked it looked amazing. You know, that was that was the War Machine armor. And yeah, it, uh, it, yeah it was great. Oh, I, I can't but echo your thoughts for sure. I mean, as I said, I, I'm not a big fan of kind of robots and machines and what have you. you know, it's it's very strange because among my friends, everybody's like kind of like, you know, sometimes when they get into their car talks, I'm like totally oblivious. I have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm like, it just has never, never been anything that interests me. But it's like, I, I can definitely appreciate the war machine armor for sure. Um, so let's get to the guy who pretty much helps Tony get there, as it were, when it comes to solving the arc reactor problem and who almost acts as his rehab man, Mr. Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. Now, what did you guys make of him? Let's start with you, JY. What did you think of our you know, director of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, he's... I mean, what can he say about Nick Fury and Sam Jack, his portrayal? He's, he is Nick Fury. Um, you know, ever since the little teasers at the end of, you know, the previous Marvel films, he, he owned the role. He is Nick Fury. He's got that, you know, super secret authoritarian leadership persona down. And he's, you know, he's what you would think Nick Fury was. I, you know, he was perfect. 
And, and what about you, JT? You know, once again, another character that we've in, in, encountered a little bit in the Avengers films. So here, he definitely mm -hmm. gets to shine quite a bit. What did you think of, uh, of what Sam Jackson brought to this film? Well, I, I, I love Sam Jackson to bits uh, to begin with. I think he's fantastic. And as Nick Fury, and we've talked about him before, and he's, he, he owns the role. In this one, though, it seemed like he kind of knew a little bit about what was going on uh, like ahead of the time. I, I obviously as being like the, the, the greatest secret agent or whatever. I and mean, he's, he's always got eyes somewhere. Uh, he's, he, he always knows what's going on ahead of, ahead of time. But, uh, when he's, when he's talking to Tony before Tony goes into isolation, I, he, he gives him that big crate with his father's stuff in there and it says Pegasus on it. So there's I mean, just another Easter egg. Uh, you, he, opens up the uh the crate and here's all of his dad's stuff and uh nick was nick's just like he's like yeah we, we were saving this for you he wanted you to have this it, almost like the uh like the obi-wan and luke moment he's like he's like this is yours he wanted you to have this stuff so and uh it's it's pretty cool when you when you uh if you pause it or if you look at some videos um some of the different things that are actually in that crate there's a captain america issue number one in there uh there's uh there's there's uh, maps with uh, there's there's pages with the tesseract on there it's, and just all, there, this movie is just like the first Iron Man tons and tons of Easter eggs and uh, the fact that uh, the fact that Nick Fury kind of knows a little bit more about what's going on with uh, with with Tony's illness and that's that that was kind of scary at first it was like it was like wait a second he hasn't told anybody about what's going on but you know. So that just shows you how good Nick Fury is. Yeah. Oh, yes. And, and you know, now I've actually gone on record saying how much I love the actor and the character. And, and hey, we share at least a name. So there is that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, though, here, though, you know, is the first time we get to know Nick even more. So as before this, like you were both saying, we'd only seen him in the post credit scene here and there. And I think he very much emphasizes that tough love with Tony and getting him back on track and helping him to solve his issues. And I just laughed out loud when he yelled, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. Yes. <laughs> that was hysterical. I just love that. I mean, because only Sam Jackson can make a line like that work. But mm -hmm. it was just it was just fantastic. And I think he does very much believe in Tony. Though of course, here we see that he's still on the fence about having him part of the Avengers initiative. He's kind of working yes. on it and thinking of him being more of a consultant. Though I do wonder whether he is also hoping that in this way, S.H.I.E.L.D. may have access to not only Stark Enterprises, but also the Iron Man armor without having to actually have Tony Stark on the team. As, of course, we know that... You know, as much as he seems like he cares about people, we also know that Mr. Fury tends to also have another agenda. So um, that could have been the it. But I, I'm, but, but I think it was, it was, it was nice. And I thought it was a shame that he did not make an, an appearance at movie's end to say something. But it, you definitely wanted to see more of him, and it, it was just a wonderful, wonderful portrayal for sure. So, guys, let's get to the dark. Let's get to the dark. Just going back to the Nick Fury knowing sure. everything. Sure. I just had this thought, you know, he, you know, shield is far reaching and they do know a lot of what's going on when fury doesn't know something that just shows you how severe of a threat that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very well said. Stuff that's not on his radar. Then that you're talking, that's a major threat. <laughs> right. I just had to 
<laughs> well, I, I totally will agree with you. And I mean, very, very well said indeed. And so, guys, you know, we talked a little bit about our heroes. Let's get to the dark side of the table. And uh, we actually get two villains in this film. Let's start with one that some could consider the darker version of Tony Stark, or let's say what Tony could have turned into had he gone bad. Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer, whom our listeners might know from Lawn Dogs, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Vice, and tons of other more things. So when it came to our Justin Hammer here, JT, what did you think of him? Well, I've, I've loved Sam Rockwell ever since I saw Welcome to Collinwood. Uh, I, that he, he played Justin Hammer completely different than the comic version. In, in the comics, Justin Hammer is this old man that's basically sitting behind a desk. He's... Uh, uh, basically he, uh, he, in, in the comics, he was, he was responsible for a lot of misery, including the, uh, the events that led up to the demon in a bottle storyline. Uh, but he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't more, uh, more or less just like the, uh, the, the happy go lucky guy you see on screen. He was, he was like the, the, the old miser that's planning things all the time. Uh, Sam Rockwell, I loved his portrayal as, as Hammer. Uh, he was funny. Uh, Sam Rockwell likes to dance in every movie that he does at least once. So you see him dancing at the, when he's presenting the uh, before he presents the drones. I mean, it was just it was hilarious. And the uh, the the way that Tony just kind of cringed every time he came up to him. You knew, okay, I don't like this guy. <laughs> there was, there's, they never told you like a real reason, like if uh, if they had some bad blood in the past. But obviously, they they were both weapons makers, um, weapons manufacturers, and uh, uh, Stark Industries seems to have taken off a little bit more than Hammer Industries. So I think uh, I think Tony's kind of like, okay, here's here's the guy who wants to be me, but it's never going to happen. But yeah, I, Sam Rockwell was fantastic. I loved him. And, and what about you, J.Y.? I mean, were you familiar with the character of Justin Hammer in the comics? And what did you think of uh, the, the version in the, we got in the film? You know, I know I knew nothing about the Justin Hammer comic character. I was actually just reading Wikipedia the other day about Iron Man 2, and they mentioned that he was this older English gentleman. Um, this character is, you know, one of the things that I did not quite appreciate when I saw this movie in the theaters years ago. Um, I think my initial disappointment was that Whiplash didn't have a bigger role, and he's coming up, I'm sure. Um, mm. So I didn't quite enjoy the Justin Hammer character. But watching it, you know, afresh after many, many years, I have to say this character could be my favorite guy in the movie. <laughs> because <laughs> no, I absolutely hate him. <laughs> Every time he's on the screen, I want to smack that guy because he's <laughs> Weasley and he's Stormy and so egotistical and i want to smack that guy and i enjoyed how much i hated that character just because he's so annoying and so weaselly and and what i think is great is he's as arrogant as tony is but it's a completely different type of arrogance you know mm -hmm. tony's arrogant because he knows he's good at what he does and he can back up his arrogance Justin Hammer is not Tony Stark in knowledge or skill. You know, he's, you know, his weapons failed. His um, trying to create an Iron Man suit failed, uh, as Tony showed in that Senate hearing. So he knows he's not that good. And how he became the head of that company, who knows? Maybe he inher inherited it or something. But he has to put on this false arrogance to overcompensate for his failures. 
kind of like the stereotypical guy that buys a big truck to, uh, cause he doesn't quite feel secure in his, his, you know, manliness. Um, uh, that is, to me is just he's, a, uh, every time he's, he's like, well, we're, we're kidders. We kid, uh, it's not a competition and you know, it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 He wants to be told, you know, he's, you know, he's not. So he has to create this false bravado and this false arrogance. And I hated it. And I loved how much I hated that. Uh, especially the dancing, you know, he knew when he walked on stage, he had nothing to do with those drones. Um, <laughs> when he comes out with that little dance to like, he's got to try to be like, yeah, these are mine. Even though he knows he had nothing to do with them. It was all, yeah. it was all whiplash. And I just, you know, I wanted to smack that guy every time I saw him and I really enjoyed how much I wanted to smack him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? He's, he's definitely the guy you love to hate and granted he is somewhat dumbed down. And I thought it was interesting. They did make him American while the character, like you were both saying is actually British and, uh, you know, as JT was saying, the ca character was originally created by Dave Michelini, John Romita Jr. and Bob Layton as almost a cautionary tale to what Tony Stark could have become had he continued to be an arms dealer and war profiter. And as in the comics, he pretty much supplies Iron Man's foes with cutting edge tech. While here, like you were both saying, they made him a little bit more comedic and very much a Tony Stark wannabe. As you, he has this very much hyperactive, nervous trait about him, which kind of put me in mind a little bit of Jesse Eisenberg's version of Lex Luthor. Though, granted, he does not cackle or seem crazy, so I'm glad that we didn't get that. But he is very much kind of, has this kind of nervous energy about him. And we do also find out, like, you know, you were pointing out, uh, J.Y., that his tech pales in comparison numerous times to Stark Tech, and in certain cases is shoddy at best. Though he is very much an eloquent talker, and I guess he is the used car salesman of, you know, big business owners, I suppose, because he knows his stuff is rubbish, but he's trying to sell it as, as best he can. But, uh, but yeah, I, I also love to hate him indeed. I mean, he did get irritating, but in a good way. So I enjoyed him as well. And when it actually came to the relationship that he had with Ivan Vanko before we get to uh, Mr. Ivan Vanko himself, what did you guys make of the relationship with, with between him and Ivan or how, shall we say, Hammer treated Ivan? Let's start with you, J.Y. What did you think of that relationship? It's definitely, you know, the hammer knows that uh, Ivan can get him what he needs and um, he's going to, he also knows that Ivan's a threat, you know, obviously Ivan can beat hammer up if he wanted to. Um, so he's got to do everything he can to keep his thumb on him, to keep him hard at work. Um, and uh, it was definitely a, um, you know, I'm controlling you to get what I need. Uh, you better do what I listen or I'll make, you know, life miserable for you. And, um, it, it suited Hammer's character. And, uh, and of course, Ivan, he's, you know, he's pretending to cooperate, but we know he's, you know, he's got something else up his sleeve. So that fit his character as well. Oh, yes. Nina. And what about you, JT? What did you think of the relationship between, uh, Hammer and Vanko? Oh, you, you knew right off the bat that he was just trying to, uh, to, to, to get him to, uh, like get what he needed because uh, he, obviously he doesn't have the capabilities that uh, that the Vanco has. I mean, Vanco's a, he's a physicist. I mean, it said so in the uh, when they were talking about uh, like his past. Uh, so yeah, he's he's just uh, he's he's just in it for what he can get out of him. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and and it's it's just very way, very childish the way he treats him. Sometimes it's like he's like, okay, uh, I'm going to take your shoes. I'm going to take your your bird. Or your, your, 
uh, as he uh, good, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he's he's going to take things away from him so he can get what he wants. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, it it suited that version of Hammer. Uh, the uh, the comic version of Hammer was way different than this. Like I said before, uh, John, you'll you'll you should be happy knowing that Hammer's fate in the comics was pretty grisly. So he's he's gone in the comics. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what? This was an odd one, you know, as to echo your thoughts. I think he, we can say it is pretty clear that he does not particularly care for Ivan. But I think Hammer indulges him as he sees him, like you guys were saying, as the key to getting one over Tony. And you also wonder what other shady business Mr. Hammer has conducted over the years if he's, in, if he's prepared to employ these rather sordid characters to work for him. So it definitely throws even more shade, I think, on, on, on Hammer's side, for sure. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is definitely very much that kind of talking down to him and very much uh, you know, belittling him when, when he's playing a very, very dangerous game, as we find out later on, of course, in the film. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was a it was a good relationship indeed, and I I liked also how you know Rockwell and Mickey Rock played off each other. It was it was great fun indeed. So as we have talked about him a little bit here, guys, let's get to the other villain in this picture, Mister Mickey Rock of all people, as Ivan Vanko Whiplash. So before we uh, we I, I actually get your thoughts here, I did, I did want to give our listeners a little bit of a background here because apparently. Mickey Rourke actually visited prisons in Russia to research this role. This is how dedicated the man is. I mean, he actually went to these prisons and he actually suggested that Ivan should get some lines in Russian. And he also mentioned the idea of having tattoos, gold teeth and the bird, which I'll never understand. But that's another story. But um, <laughs> and he actually paid to have his teeth kind of done the way they are. And he also bought the cockatoo out yep. of his own money. You know, just, yes, and I'm like, I'm like, wow. I mean, if that's not dedication to the role, I don't know what is. So definitely more power to Mr. Rock for, for going to that length for it. But, you know, when it comes to, to the thought, your thoughts, uh, gentlemen, what did you guys make of our main villain? Let's start with you, JY. What did you think of our big bad? Well, I hinted at it earlier. When I first saw this movie, I was expecting Whiplash to, to be the main villain and was quite disappointed when about halfway through the film, you know, he doesn't do much except sit in front of a keyboard. Um, you know, with the you know rewatch, you know, he was, you know, that character is more of a plot device to further Hammer's plan. And I just said how much I enjoyed hating <laughs> Justin Hammer. So I, I liked, you know, Whiplash to set up hammers you know scheme to compete with tony uh it's just a shame that you know mickey rourke is a very talented actor and he just didn't have much to do um uh, i read the same thing about him you know buying the bird and suggesting the tattoos um because he wanted the character to be a little bit more fleshed out and not just this you know one-dimensional guy so the bird and tattoos and teeth at least gave him something else interesting, <laughs> even though the script didn't give him, you know, much to that character. Um, there is one great scene that you can see how good of an actor Mickey Rourke is, is when um, he's in the interrogation room and Tony comes in and um, 
you know, and Whiplash says, if he can make God bleed, then people will stop believing in him. Um, that's to me is a very chilling scene. And I thought, you know, he showed his acting chops there. And I just kind of wish they would have carried that idea out, you know, the, you know, making Tony, you know, making God bleed, making Iron Man look vulnerable and people stopping to believe in him. They didn't really carry that theme through. Um, but that's a very chilling line and a very chilling scene. And, and he pulled it off great. Just unfortunately, he sits in front of the keyboard for the rest of the film. He is very much, I guess, a, a keyboard warrior indeed. And when it when it came to you, JT, I mean, what did you think of uh, of our Whiplash? And you know, were you uh, were you surprised that we got somebody like Mickey Rourke as our main villain? Uh, I was because being an Iron Man fan from the comics for for as long as I can remember, Whiplash. Uh, well, Whiplash was he, he was he debuted back in 1968 in Tales of Suspense. Uh, he was a Stark employees uh, or Stark Industries employee from Cincinnati, and uh, I, I always thought it was pretty cool that I mean, he turned out to be one of my favorite villains in the comics. Um, although I, to now thinking about it, it's like okay, the, this guy has, he's got two whips, which I think I liked it because of probably like an Indiana Jones type type deal. Uh, but he's got this long flowing cape and a plume. I'm like, who wears the plume nowadays? <laughs> but uh, a complete, complete uh, deviation. <clears throat> excuse me from the uh, from the comic whiplash. But I, I, I really enjoyed him uh, as, uh, as as how we we received him in the movie. Uh, Mickey Rourke, a, he's a scary looking dude to begin with, and then you start you put the the Russian accent onto him, the tattoos. And, and it, like, it brings back that whole thing of legacy. I mean, his he, he pulls out the, uh, the the blueprints for the arc reactor, and there's his father's name on it right next to Howard Stark. And uh, the, if you if you notice when he's working on on that in the beginning, it's it's almost a shot for shot duplication of Tony working in the cave from the first movie, and uh, a. That that when John mentioned that scene when he was being uh, when when he was in the, the the cell, he's he's just sitting there. Here comes Tony, and they start they start talking tech, which I I I loved. I, here's here's Tony saying, you know, you, you should up your cycles a little bit and all this, and uh, he he doesn't think that. I think just by uh, just by looking at him by appearances, I don't think that he realizes how smart of a guy that uh, that he is. And as he's walking out, he says, hey, Tony, yeah, palladium in the chest. That's a painful way to die. And uh, the look on Tony's face is just like, OK, he he knows this. So it's like, yeah, he was he, I, I did enjoy it. I, I, I agree with John. I think they could have went so much further with the character. Um, the initial fight between uh, between Whiplash and Tony when he's uh, when he, we finally see the, 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 the suitcase armor, the briefcase armor. Uh, call back to the Silver Centurion armor from the from the comics. I I would have loved to have seen that go out a little bit longer because it just that that seemed like it was like one and done and that was it. But uh, yeah, Mickey Rourke, I I thought he did fantastic. I mean, just uh, his mannerisms. He, uh, he he I think he played the character the way he wanted to uh, because that like I said in the comics so much difference in the, the in the characters. Uh, and even like uh, later on, when they did like the Iron Man animated series, they made Whiplash into this like goofy, uh, like uh, he'll fall the trip over his whip and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, he's, he 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 was a threat. 
And at that point in time, Tony hadn't he had, he hadn't gone up against anyone that could uh, that could stand toe to toe to him. Well, yes, very well said. Yeah, because of course the Avengers were still uh, quite a ways uh, from 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 this particular time when this film was made and stuff. So definitely, I mean, he finally found somebody that you know really could take him to to, to town and then some. I mean, I. I personally appreciate Mickey Rourke being so dedicated to the role and wanting to give fans a more fleshed out villain, which I think we ostensibly get as what I did like was like his fellow Russian Natasha. He is much more than what he seems. And obviously Hammer completely buys him being more of a prison bred criminal with maybe random sparks of genius that he can control and not realizing the dangerous game he's playing. And I suppose that we can feel some sympathy for Ivan also at the same time as his father was treated rather poorly, to say the least, by Tony's dad. <clears throat> and in his mind, you know, he's going after Tony, you know, obviously to avenge his father. It's almost like, you know, the sins of the father are, are visited on the sons kind of thing. So I thought I, you know, we, it, it, what I like was we do have some sympathy for him. He's not just, you know, a bad guy through and through. So I like that. And, you know, he might not be, I think, maybe the best villain, but he's definitely fun to watch. As, of course, like you guys were both pointing out, he has a genius-level IQ. He is a very brutal fighter. So he's very much, I think, the noble savage of the MCU, if you will. You know, before Thanos came along, he very much has that noble savage thing going on. And, of course, mm -hmm. you know, like like you had pointed out when we, you know, at the beginning of this uh, review, uh, JT, it is very much a thing about legacy. I mean, even here, like you were saying, the father and son heritage, which both Tony and Ivan are dealing with, is even in death, we see that Howard is still taking Tony to school. And before Ivan's dad passes away, he gives him all the, um, you know, kind of details about his tech and so they both want to honor their father's legacies in different ways. So I thought it was a nice mirroring of the two for sure. Mm -hmm. So, guys, any final thoughts on the film before we get to ratings? Well, I got to say that the, the battle, the, the fight scene at the very end with, the, uh, with all the drones, I mean, that, that was just, just pure enjoyment to watch. I mean, that's, uh, uh, at the, seeing Tony and, uh, and, and Rhodey fighting together, uh, even even when uh, even when Rhodey was taken over by by Vanko, I mean, obviously you, you you can tell that he's he's smart enough to do that kind of stuff. Uh, the the interaction between the two of them was 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 awesome to watch. But when they start fighting together, I mean, that's just I, the, they get down into the in the Rhodey calls it the kill box. And it's just like it's like we gotta get out of here. All of a sudden, the drones come all the way around them. It's like okay, too late. But uh, I like the fact that. The um, after after this, uh, what do we see in the next one? We see Tony with a fleet of drones. So I think he mm -hmm. might have uh, gotten the idea from 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 fighting uh, from fighting fighting Vanko. But uh, also the thing I like is the uh, is, there's a little nod in there that uh, uh, they never said anything in in the movie itself. But later on, Kevin Feige said, you know what? That little kid that was standing there and put his hand up and, and in front of the, dr the drone and Tony plopped down right behind him and took it out and said, nice job, kid, and took off. Well, that was a young Peter Parker now. They've, they've confirmed it. So uh, that's yeah. that pretty cool. That, that's a beautiful one, Dean. And well pointed out about the concept of the Iron Legion, which we will then also get, of course, in uh, Age of Ultron as well, for sure. And mm -hmm. when it comes to you, JY, any final thoughts on this film? 
Yeah, I had a, uh, an interesting thought yesterday, and I might be reading too much into this, but I don't. I don't think so. Um, I read a lot of comic books. I watch a lot of movies, and one of the things I'm looking for now is I don't even know what the right storytelling term is. I call it subtle storytelling, where there's something in the story, but they don't flat out tell you. Um, I first noticed this in The Mandalorian. Spoilers if anybody hasn't watched The Mandalorian yet, and if you haven't, shame on you. Uh, <laughs> created by John McGraw, so thank you, Happy, for The Mandalorian. Um, but in episode six, The Prisoner, Mandalorian goes on this mission with a bunch of guys, and they end up double-crossing him. And the Mandalorian character, at this point, we know will kill and has no qualms with killing. And he could have killed all those people that betrayed him. At the, and you think he does, actually, as you're watching the episode. Then at the very end, they're all he stashes them all in a prison cell. And they're not dead. And they don't tell you why he didn't kill them. But as a viewer, you know that you know, he's going through this arc because of, to avoid a big spoiler, I guess, the asset that is with him. Um, that if you don't know who the asset is, you've been living under a rock, but he's got this, this thing with him that is causing him to want to be a better person. And that's why he doesn't kill those prisoners. The, the guys that, uh, turned on him, but they never tell you that you just have to, to know it from watching the show. Then I think they did that in Iron Man two when Tony is you know he's about he's dying so he's just going to live life to the fullest and indulge in all of his excesses the one thing that he doesn't indulge in that you know at the beginning of iron man one you see him seducing a woman uh at the beginning of iron man three it flashes back to 1999 and he's seducing a woman you don't ever really he's surrounded by women in iron man two certainly and he flirts with natasha but you don't ever see him actively seducing somebody and I think it's because he knows he loves Pepper, um, but hasn't admitted it to himself or her yet. And I just thought if that was intentional, that's brilliant. And the fact that they showed Tony being a ladies' man in one and three, I think they intentionally did not show him seducing the women because he knows he loves Pepper. And I just thought that was just a nice touch, you know, that, you know, they didn't flat out tell you that, but you see him, you know, drinking and racing fast cars and having big lavish parties. But the one thing he doesn't do is what, you know, he does a lot and, you know, because he truly loves Pepper. And I just thought that was a nice little touch. They don't hit you over the head with it. Um, but I think it's definitely there. And I think it's intentional on the writer's behalf. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's subtle enough to, uh, to make you notice it. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and I'm actually glad that even though, you know, Tony is kind of, you know, flirting with Natasha. And he's like, I want one of those kind of thing. I'm glad they didn't have them actually sleep together or anything like that. Because apart from the fact, I think we've been terribly awkward later down the line with the Avengers and stuff, because then you would probably have to explain that. And already we're having problems with Black Widow's kind of love interests as it is. You know, I mean, the, the, the whole Hulk deal is still unexplained as it were. They're kind of like, yeah, we're just going to throw that away. It doesn't matter. So... I'm glad we didn't get, you know, them having any kind of romantic relationship. That And, uh, you know, well said there, JY, about that for sure. Um, so, gentlemen, let's get to ratings. Where does this movie rate for you on a scale of 1 to 10? Let's start with you, JY. What do you give this film? I give it, I give it a 7. Um, I like the fact that in actually all three Iron Man films, they 
they peel back the armor and focus more on the man, you know, in this case, Tony dealing with his mortality. Um, I thought it's a great introduction to the Black Widow character. Um, the only thing that keeps it from getting a little bit higher score uh, is I think it needed more action. I think the pacing's a little off. Um, between the whiplash fight at the racetrack and the big fight at the ends, I think drags a little bit for me. I maybe would have liked to have seen a couple more skirmishes with whiplash before he gets captured, you know, a couple more opportunities for him to make God bleed going back to that scene earlier. Um, and then when they do, when, uh, Iron Man and uh, war machine do confront whiplash, she goes down pretty darn quick. Uh, it's not really a, a long battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think you need a little bit more action. Now the, uh, the black widow fight, um, is spectacular. Uh, it's the best fight movie, and um, and it's a great you know showcases Black Widow skills. I just think the you know Iron Man and the War Machine needed a little bit more action. Had we gotten that, it's it's at least an eight, if not a nine. But it just it just dragged between the racetrack scene and the final battle at the end for me. And so you know the million dollar question is when it comes to the Iron Man fan here, JT, <laughs> what do you give this film? Well, like I said, I, I, I adore this movie. I think I, it's not perfect, but it's, it's, uh, it's always a fun watch. Uh, I'm going to go one, one higher than John. I'm going to go an eight out of 10, uh, primarily because of this. I, I think there was, there's too much, too much intertwined in there. I think, uh, if, if, if we had, if we had like kept Justin hammer to the, to the, to the side a little bit and showed more of, uh, of, uh, Ivan, uh, I think it would have been. I think it would have raised my my uh, rating a little bit more. But uh, and one of the things I did not really care for was at the uh, at the very end at the, with the fight scene. Uh, they're fighting all the drones. Cool, everything looks awesome. Uh, you even see like the oil splatter looking like blood on War Machine's uh, faceplate, which is like a, visually stunning. It was awesome. But then here comes Vanko in a suit of armor. It's like you know, it, it, you don't need another suit of armor when you've got you got Tony, you got Rhodey. They're in their armor. I mean, just get this guy out with his whips because you know already that he he did some damage. So I think he could have. Uh, it it would have been a really cool fight to see him just like running around with the whips instead of just standing there in suit of armor with two whips uh, uh, on each on each hand. It just it did that part didn't really do it for me. But all in all, I, I love this movie, though. It's, uh, like I said, a huge amount of Easter eggs in there. I mean, you see uh, Miss Arbogast, the, the secretary from the comics. I mean, there's, uh, I, like I said earlier, the briefcase uh, suit of armor. It's, it's all, I, there's, there's videos you can see, you can check out with all the, all the Easter eggs. But, I mean, it's just such a, a nod to the, to the comics. Oh, well, definitely. I mean, I'm also going to give this an 8 out of 10, as I think it's a fitting sequel to the first Iron Man movie. Though, I mean, we didn't mention him, but I would have also liked more Clark Gregg in this film. I mean, I am a huge fan (laughs) of Clark Gregg, and I'm actually, you know, obviously devouring the latest season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it always seems like Clark Gregg is kind of almost pushed to the side, and we'll actually, I think, have to probably talk about him also when it comes to Endgame as well, because nobody knows what happened to Clark Gregg, so unless we find out with this latest season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I also enjoyed the fact that we did get him for a little bit. The story was good. We got the introduction in the MCU to Black Widow. I think Whiplash was a good villain. 
Justin Hammer was a fun, almost parody version of, of Tony Stark. So, And, of course, we got War Machine, which was incredibly cool as well. So, guys, let's get to reading recommendations. Did you have any stories you would like to suggest? Let's start with you, JT, you being the Iron Man guy. What would you like to suggest our listeners check uh, read up about uh, having watched this movie? Yeah, I was I was delving deep with this one uh, just because I mean, Whiplash is such a, a poignant uh, villain that uh, he's been around a long time. He was introduced in 1968, um, so I'm, I'm going with two two issues that he was a part of. Uh, Tales of Suspense number 97. Uh, it's actually called The Coming of Whiplash, and uh, then uh, in the Invincible Iron Man number 62. That's a really good fight between between uh, uh, Tony and uh, uh, Scar- Scarliotti. That's his, his name in the comics, but. Uh, uh, also, Iron Man number uh, 192. Uh, you saw the you saw the the fisticuffs between Tony and Rhodey in this in the in the film. In 192, they actually uh, Tony has the original armor on. Rhodey has the the, the, the classic uh, red and gold, and they're getting into it. They're they're battling each other in that in that issue. Uh, so you get to see see how it turned out in the comics. Uh, also, Iron Man 282, that's the first appearance of War Machine. So you get a chance to see what, uh, what he looked like when he first uh, debuted with, to- with Tony in the actual armor. And then uh, it's been hinted at uh, a couple times, the, uh, the demon in a bottle uh, storyline. Um, as much as, I, as mu- much as I want to say that it's a recommendation, uh, I don't think there was like a lot of alcoholism in this movie. But if you pick up the trade paperback called The Power of Iron Man, which is still available on uh, through Amazon and eBay, it's got issues. It's it's re- it reprints issues 120 through 128, and that's got uh, that's got Justin Hammer. It's got Whiplash. It's got uh, uh, Trip to Monaco. It's got the uh, the Demon in the Bottle uh, uh, issue that is in there as well, and uh, it's it, it's a really really good storyline. So those are uh, those, those are mine. And, and what about you, JY? Did you have any comic book recommendations? Well, I could be, I could try to be smart and recommend going to find the teenage Tony Stark story, um, <laughs> but <laughs> best not say much about that. <laughs> I still don't even know what that was about. But they uh, they made they brought Tony Stark back as a teenager, and I. It's very confusing, but um, there's no way I can top John's suggestions. You know, he's the Iron Man expert. I would like to point out, though, that if you are interested in these characters, Iron Man and Black Widow, Marvel likes to reboot their comics every couple of years. And for people who have been reading comic books for a long, long time, it's really annoying to have a new number one issue every couple of years. <laughs> I understand the reason they do it. <laughs> the reason they do it is they need you to attract new fans. You know, if someone watches uh, Iron Man 2 and goes into the comic store and they see that Iron Man's up to issue number 589, they might be like, oh, why should I pick this up? I'm going to be way, way, way behind. So they reboot the book every couple of years, uh, and they're going to do that again with um, Iron Man number one coming out on March or September 16th, uh, written by Christopher Cantwell. I'm not familiar with him, so I Googled him. There are two Christopher Cantwells. One of them is an extreme right anti-Semite. That is not this guy. So. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> At first I was like, well, Marvel hired this guy. No, they did it. They're just two kids. High-dress infiltrated Marvel, ladies and gentlemen. 
but that comes out September 16th, Iron Man number one. And then Black Widow number one comes out on September 2nd. That one's written by Kelly Thompson, who I am familiar with. Uh, she's currently writing Captain Marvel, which is one of Marvel's main titles. And she also wrote, um, there was a 12-issue series, I think, with Rogue and Gambit, which then morphed into another series called Mr. and Mrs. X when Rogue and Gambit got married. Uh, yeah, they finally tied the knot in the comics. Uh, I read about half of the Mr. and Mrs. X, and it was really good. So she's she's a good writer. Um, you know, the fact that Marvel trusts um, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers with her, tells you how good of a writer she is. So those both are coming out in a couple months. Uh, I would, you know, head to your local comic shop if you're interested in those characters and check them out. So that means I'm going to have probably, a, a, I think it's a fifth number one issue between between my son and i <laughs> we have we have there's three there's four four different volumes of iron man i think so it's like geez yeah, yeah it's a it's annoying when you've been reading books as long as john and i have but i understand what the goal is it's to attract new readers with a good starting point for them to jump on so it's a good marketing strategy even though for us it's kind of annoying it, it can be a bit annoying indeed, but you know, and uh, nice, um, you know, tie there to the X Men indeed, uh, JY, because of course you will be returning soon to discuss the X Men, but you know, that is that will be revealed, you know, in the coming weeks, folks. But aside from taking notes on these great comics, listeners, you know, if you want to be like uh, John Takas and John Yancheck and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show you can reach out to us with those also at happiness and darkness how at gmail.com feel free to show your support by giving us a like on facebook where you'll find us as happiness and darkness you can also follow us on twitter we're at high darkness pod or on instagram under hin darkness also if you'd like to support the podcast if feeling generous you can become patrons of ours on patreon that's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness and we do have some rather interesting tiers up there folks so definitely be sure to check those out that's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness and any donators of course among the various choices we have will be able to pick the movie we next discuss pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice so guys when it comes to you and what you do where can i find listeners find you on the interwebs let's start with you jy well um before i get to that let me just say it's an absolute thrill i enjoyed this episode i uh hope i got my nerves out since i've got the daredevil episode under my belt and uh <laughs> to be able to great to be able to talk superhero movies with you nick and with my good friend john i you know couldn't ask for more this has been an absolute blast uh i am on facebook uh you can find me there that's mostly you know family stuff uh, i do have a twitter um where i post all my geek related things um my twitter name is the amazing yan i just changed that uh to the amazing yan because i'm before COVID hit, I was going to really delve into my interest in doing magic tricks and start doing magic shows and stuff. And then we all got shut down and that hasn't happened, but that's my magician name. The Amazing Yan at John Yan Check One. And I post my thoughts on the week's comic books. I post uh, my thoughts on movies I've seen and uh, a lot of wrestling stuff if you're into pro wrestling. Uh, though I haven't been to a pro wrestling show thanks to COVID and I'm uh, going crazy not seeing my pro wrestling, but lots of comics, movies, and pro wrestling, and hopefully in the near future, some uh, magic-related stuff as well. That's the amazing Yan at John Yanchik one on Twitter. 
awesome source and uh, folks definitely be sure to check out uh, what uh, what uh, our, our dear friend John Janchik does I mean he's been a supporter of the show from day one and we really appreciate you supporting us from day one John and when it comes to you JT I know you have some new projects on the horizon so give us a little bit more about that and where folks can find you on the interwebs okay uh, uh, through Facebook uh, just John Yan uh, John Janchik uh, John Takis <laughs> I, I, I've known you so long uh, yes. John Tack is on uh, on Facebook. I, like like John said, it's uh, mainly just like family stuff. Um, I'm now on Instagram. It's John Star Wars fans should get that one. Uh, I post a lot of my uh, pictures that I'm doing with uh, sci-fi sci-fi models and fantasy miniatures, and uh, also the uh, the Ohio Type 40. That's the uh, the Doctor Who group that I uh, I'm one of the founding members of here in the, the Great Buckeye State. Here, um, we're just we got fans from all over, so you don't have to be a Ohio fan. Just uh, come on over, give us a like if you're a Doctor Who fan. Also, Type Two Doctor Who. Um, I have a support group that I started for Doctor Who fans who are also Type Two diabetics like myself. Uh, it's pretty slow going right now on the uh, on the group, but we're we're there for for anybody who is a fan who is struggling with their type two diabetes. Um, there'll be uh, oh geez, it was two years now that, uh, that I've been diagnosed, or no, no, uh, a little over a year that I've been diagnosed. So, uh, and then uh, I can if if you'll let me premiere this right now, Nick, that'd be cool. I would be uh, honored. Uh, up and running right now. Out of this world models and minis. I have uh, just started up a YouTube channel. Uh, I've got two videos up there right now. It's one's just an introductory video, and the other one is a full model build. It's where I do my uh, building, painting, sci-fi, fantasy models, miniatures. Uh, I've, I'm having a blast with it so far. So it's uh, come over, check it out. Give me, give me a like, subscribe, all that fun stuff that you hear that all the YouTubers saying. But uh, and it's uh, I'm not the best model builder out there, but I'm I'm having a fun time, and I've got a lot of models to, to build. So. Oh, I have to jump in here. I have to jump in here. John's been building models and painting miniatures for as long as I've known him. <laughs> it it's like a superpower. He is amazing. <laughs> Check out his channel. The guy can build models. The detail, um, just remarkable. It's it it's his superpower. So don't he's trying to be modest, but he is an amazing model builder. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. You'll like you'll like the first one that's on there too. I think you will. So I'm definitely checking it out. <laughs> I will. I can offer echo JY's thoughts because folks definitely check out what uh, what uh, John Takis does with with his um, Out of This World channel on the, on YouTube. It is fantastic. I cannot paint or build to save my life, and believe you me, it is beautiful to see somebody who actually knows what he's doing. So definitely, <laughs> so definitely check. Oh, you're very welcome, and definitely check out these you know these two great gentlemen and the things they do. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I also host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play traditional country today's country and everything else in between for more about that and how and where to tune in you can visit our website that's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com podcast wise feel free to also check out our latest project gold standard the oscars movie podcast where with co-hosts zan sprouse and rachel friend we're reviewing all the movies that won the oscar for best picture from 1927's wings to the present day 
Thursday, August 6th, we will be discussing the fifth film to win Best Picture, which will be Grand Hotel. Should you guys wish to join us for that discussion, you can email us for a guest spot. We want to just share your thoughts on Grand Hotel. You can do that at goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys, and we also appreciate the follow and support. That's Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. And speaking of things to come on this show, next week we'll be joined by Zan Sprouse and a special surprise guest to discuss another movie sequel, 1980s Dick Lester film, Superman 2. That said... When it comes to you guys, I want to once again you know, thank you so, so much for, for being on this podcast with me today. And I definitely look forward to having you back soon. Well, thanks again. It's, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolute blast. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, well, the, the pleasure was certainly mine. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Zan Sprouse, a surprise guest, and Superman 2. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.